Pikachu. Pikachu. Okay, trainers and your Pokemon, welcome to Pikapi Podcast. Your Pokemon anime podcast where we go through every episode of the series and psychoanalyze Ash Ketchum and critique all of his decisions in the best way. You're doing amazing, sweetie. And sometimes fan out about non-anime stuff because I don't know who's all been paying attention to the Pokemon Hatsune Miku uh, collab going on, but they're uh, getting Vocaloid producers, well-known Vocaloid producers sigh, I will not be called up to the ranks, uh, to do Pokemon songs uh, with the Hatsune Miku Vocaloid uh, synth vocal uh, doing the vocals. And they've had uh, Deco Nina doing a song, which was which was fine. Like, I really love Deco Nina. And it, it was it was it was basically what they do. It was fun. It was it was neat. But then uh, Michi M or Michi A.M., however you pronounce that, because sometimes Vocaloid producers purposefully choose obtuse or hilarious uh jokey names for themselves looking at you Hariyoshi. um but michi m did a song and like they understood the assignment like that is there are so many puns and word plays and double meanings like that that song did not waste an inch of lyric <laughs> devoted to puns like kukui sensei would be so proud i really love this song uh, that they wrote, What Kind of Future. It's just so fun, and it's so cute, and as I said, so full of puns upon the names of Pokemon and their attacks, and it's kind of got the vibe of a Pokemon song, like a traditional Pokemon song, in that it's, like, about looking towards the future, and I love my friends, but it also has, like, a very Vocaloid quality to it, in, in that a lot of times in Vocaloid, we write songs that is both from the point of view of us as the creator and us as the audience, and also from the point of view of the Vocaloid character at the same time. It Like, it's kind of a whole meta thing. <laughs> but this kind of has that flavor to it, too, of, like, there's a character in the song singing about loving Pokemon and looking towards the future, but it also is about us as fans of Pokemon looking towards the future with Pokemon, the franchise. Like, it's, I love it. It's perfect. They understood exactly what the assignment was. <laughs> and there's a lot of, like, chiptune and, and uh, motifs from the game music in it. Like, oh, I'm so happy. I love this. I love this just whole collaboration project. And I can't wait to see what else is coming, what other producers are going to come on board. Like, I would love a song by Nehru, but, like, the world is not ready for this, I'm sure. And there's a part of me that's, like, a little a little jealous just because I also am a Vocaloid producer. Um, not of any note. There's no need for anybody to go find those songs. But, like, I write songs about Pokemon sometimes with Vocaloids. And <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm right here. No one thought to call me. But... You know, if they did, it would probably be angsty and tragic and about how I've lost my childhood or something, because that's also who I am as a person. Anyway, music aside, this episode is actually about the Pokemon anime. Hi, welcome to Pikapi Podcast, if I haven't welcomed you already. Um, and today, we're going to be covering Advanced Generation number 74, Hokey Pokeballs. And this episode opens up 
the kids have made it to a city and they're interested in doing all the usual stuff when they find civilization. They're going to the Pokemon Center and buying supplies and eating at restaurants, uh, but they've got a new member of the party now, Maze Bulbasaur. Um, if we remember last episode, it's never been out of its little hidden village. That's not the hidden village. It's another hidden village. Um, so, of course, May's going to let it out and see the sights like it was interested in seeing before, learning what a city is and how humans live when they're outside of the forest and the like. Even if they're just walking around, it's like, so, Bulbasaur, this is concrete. <laughs> well... Bulbasaur zooms right in on a shop, a fruit vendor, and probably thinks this is the best thing humans have done, like, ever. I mean, all the food, centrally located for easy procurement, like, of course, it goes over to eat. Uh, but you see, humans have this thing called an economy, which we have yet to see any Pokemon communities uh, demonstrate, with the exception of that one slowpoke who ran a bar-slash-ramen stand in the middle of the woods that one time in Indigo... That episode when All Ash's Pokemon got separated and we're talking with subtitles, that one. But I mean, I'm not sure anyone was charging anything. Jury's still out on that. But like, other than that one time, I've never seen a Pokemon uh, society appear to have an economy. They, they trade barter at best. <laughs> anyway, somebody's now got to explain to Bulbasaur that in human societies, we pay for food. Its trainer, specifically, should do both the paying and the explaining. This lesson will hold true for flowers and virtually anything Bulbasaur finds. And we could totally use Bulbasaur to examine our capitalist society and the nature of working for wages alongside distribution of resources. But the kids want to make it to the Pokemon Center sometime today. And so Ash, Brock, and Max tell May that they're heading on ahead and she and Bulbasaur can catch up when they're done. Uh, explaining money and buying things. Which was fine, but May quickly calls them back because Bulbasaur jumped in the back of a truck to smell all the flowers from a florist shop, and the truck drove off, so now May's got to chase down the accidental kidnapping of her Pokémon. Bulbasaur doesn't realize this is a problem. It's riding in a truck for the first time, like it's love and life. But the kids are chasing after the truck in a panic, and I'm amazed when Ash turns to Brock and asks, quote, if he's ready to turn it into high gear, and then the two of them sprint. Like, as amazing as it is that they pulled out that sprint, like, good for them, I just love the instinctive knowledge that Max and May wouldn't want to run or be able <laughs> to match that sprint, <laughs> which is probably true especially with Max and his little legs and May's general lackadaisical relationship with effort. I mean, really, it's probably assuming that Max is a child and some unconscious bias on the writer's part, placing May, the girl, in the same category as the child. Like, of course, Ash and Brock are going to be the heroes, the ones capable of running faster. But even if that's the case, like, they are not wrong. <laughs> and for that reason, I love this moment. <laughs> So Bulbasaur gets told another rule. So Bulbasaur gets told another rule of things we can't do in polite society, uh, but it doesn't seem bothered by it. So let's move on to something we should be bothered about. At the Pokemon Center, the Pokeball transport machine is broken, and the ones fixing it are Team Rocket. Poor Nurse Joy doesn't realize that this is going to go all kinds of wrong. Uh, but James came up with this particular plot, so that's new. He's not usually taking the role of mastermind. And Team Rocket plans are not usually this straightforward and 
good. So maybe there's a correlation here worth looking into. The plan is basically they're going to, quote, fix the Pokeball transport machine and then just take everybody's Pokeballs when they put it into the machine and, you know, replace it with empty fakes. So they just run off with everyone's Pokemon. Nobody is the wiser. Like, that's actually pretty good. I mean, I can see a million ways it can go wrong, and of course it will, but that's pretty good baseline. Anyway, the kids walk into the Pokemon Center, and Ash does his thing asking Nurse Joy to take care of his Pokemon, and Brock does his thing. Yeah. (laughs) I keep going back and forth on you, Brock. Because on the one hand, I do genuinely find his over-the-top love declarations hilarious. And there's usually in true Pokemon fashion, like, a lot of puns going on. And especially in the Japanese, I've noticed references to, like, classical literature and pop culture and things. But at the same time, I mean, the woman is at work. She didn't ask. Like, just existing in a public space isn't an obligation to have interactions. It's not permission to bother somebody. And when you're at work, you're busy. You have a job to do. And there's a power difference when someone works in customer service because that means they have to smile at you. They have to respond to your conversation and have to laugh politely at your jokes. So, like, even if they are into you, it's an awkward interaction just from the base Like, let alone when they're not interested at the moment. And then, at the same time, I'm also aware that there really is no right way to ask out someone you've just met or give them your number or exchange socials. Like, there really is no way to start that connection and declare your intentions that's not awkward and potentially embarrassing or uncomfortable. Like, truly, because you don't know this person, they don't know you, even if you're having a great conversation and, like, it's going great, it's not always clear that this person is on the same page as you. So going out on a limb and saying, hey, I think there's something here, can I have your number, wanna go out? Like, it's scary. It's awkward and embarrassing, even physically risky for some of us, um, and for the person you're asking, And you don't know if they've had a bad history with dating, if they're already dating somebody, if they're interested in dating somebody of your gender, if they're on the ace arrow spectrum or demi, if they're into you but they're just really busy right now. Like, you just don't know where the other person's coming from and you have no way of knowing until you ask. Even if both of you are interested in each other and you're giving each other all the signs and all the vibes... Because you're dealing with feelings, there truly is no way to get around that awkwardness except to bite the bullet, put yourself out there, and just ask, and then be respectful when the answer is no. And fairly recently, I've been approached by men in both those situations, one where I was interested and one where I wasn't. In both situations, where we chatted for a bit, and I was interested in one and absolutely wasn't interested the other time. And both times were awkward. And luckily for me, both guys were equally respectful asking and about my answer. But I also know I'm a bit privileged in that I've not yet been involved in a traumatic, physically violent sexual harassment. Whereas there's a lot of women for whom a man they don't know approaching them, like, it's already got me on guard, you know, right now. But if I'd been in a really bad situation before, like, yeah, that might be really frightening for me before he's even opened his mouth. And Brock, you don't know that Nurse Joy is okay with this. 
And how could you know? But part of what society is trying to come around on right now is the idea that because you don't know and you know that certain members of the population are a little more vulnerable, to be a little more considerate with your actions. And in this day and age, we generally all agree that running up and grabbing someone else by the hands or touching them physically in any way without their consent is not really great. Like, you should have a good reason for that, and declaring your love to a stranger, we've all decided, is not a great reason. That's not considerate. (laughs) No matter how romantic it is in your mind. So, he's losing points there, but where I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, like, about a month ago, I was walking down the road just on my way to the gas station for a snack, and a dude called out to me. I stopped, and he came up, and he gave me the absolutely cheesiest pickup line I've ever heard. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh. And when he figured that I wasn't biting, he apologized, wished me a nice day, and went on his way. And And as I walked away, I thought, that guy is Brock. Because he's not fundamentally evil. He's not even really doing anything wrong. Like, I didn't ask for that interaction, but it also didn't hurt anybody. Maybe someone else would have found it a charming icebreaker. And he wasn't upset that I said no, he didn't act entitled, he respected that, and he went off. And that just reinforced the action itself um, that Brock is doing is not the problem. That's what I think with Brock. The problem with Brock is that nobody in the show, an older male figure or anybody, ever sits him down and explains to him why Nurse Joy might not be super cool with this, and to try and see things from her point of view and change what he's doing. No one ever does that. Because Brock's a teenager. Teenagers, like, their whole deal is their brains are still developing the ability to conceive of the world beyond their own perspective and consider how other people are thinking and feeling. Like, I'm not trying to be mean. I love you, teenagers. You're doing your best. Most of you are great. But by nature's design, your brains are still growing. You are, by design, slightly selfish. You're still building the capacity for abstract thought. And that's not your fault. That's called learning. You're still working on it. Good for all of you who are trying to embrace that your point of view is not always complete. You're doing your best. Brock is a teenager, hanging out with other children. His models for romantic interactions are his parents. And we've met his parents. (laughs) Like, this boy has matured in a lot of ways, and not all of them healthy. Now he's out in the world with hormones, and it probably has never occurred to him that getting up in a girl's face and screaming about your love might make her uncomfortable. And the fact that he doesn't know that doesn't make him evil, doesn't make him ill-intentioned. The only problem is that this show never has someone explain that to him. So he's probably thinking, like, well, didn't work here. We'll just keep trying until it does work. Some woman somewhere will surely love my earnestness. Like, if no one tells you your behavior is wrong, and this show definitely does not, like, Max pulls Brock away by the ear and Misty before him, but nobody really tells Brock what he's doing wrong and why he shouldn't do that. And if nobody tells you what you're doing wrong... Why should you think you are? All Brock can think of is like, oh, didn't work there. Clearly it's embarrassing my friends. But he has no reason to think he's doing anything wrong. Because he's not trying to be mean. And that's what I want. I want the show to not just acknowledge that Brock is a little off kilter and have somebody, like, stop him. But, like, have somebody acknowledge what exactly he needs to stop. 
But then if they did, there goes the comedy bit because Brock seems to be the type of person that if you actually told him and explained what he's doing wrong here, he'd probably make an effort to change. (laughs) Because he has matured at least to the point where he doesn't get mad at her for rejecting him or for saying no. Like Brock gets really sad and mopey when girls don't like him. Um, But he doesn't try to change their mind too much or keep hounding them. Like, he just goes off into the corner and cries. So basically, he's the average teenage boy who's trying to be good. And I honestly think that if just one adult Brock respected sat down with him and was like, yo, let's talk a bit about boundaries and realistic expectations and maybe age differences, Nurse Joy's a grown woman, child. (laughs) Like, I think Brock would grow up into a pretty good adult himself. And I do appreciate that the show paints Brock's approach as ridiculous and wrong in that he always has friends to kind of curb him and drag him away. And I also appreciate that Brock, after being pulled away, tends not to come off as strong after that. Like, sometimes it's almost a reality check. Like, again, a teenager might be working through, we're thinking and feeling all these things, but... Once we're reminded, like, that's not how, you know, mature people behave. We're like, okay, okay. And we become the good, respectful people we want to be. So I don't know. Like, after all that word vomit, I'm still back and forth. Like, I just want somebody to not pull Brock away by the ear, but actually sit with him and talk about his feelings and appropriate ways to express them, which should have been the job of his parents. But that's a lot to put on little Max. And gosh, you know Ash isn't gonna do it. Like, anytime Brock makes a play for Nurse Joy, Ash is bewildered at best, and at worst, he sees exactly what's going on here, because his only other example of romantic relationships is his parents and Chikorita. Ash wants nothing to do with this quagmire. And and May might be coming from a better place, like, her, her parents are slightly better role models in this department, but that's still a big ask for a ten-year-old. Is Brock gonna take her as an authority figure here? I, I I can't. I've already talked for like 10 minutes about this. We gotta stop. Moving on. Team Rocket, I mean those three exceptionally fast IT workers, have fixed the Pokeball transport unit, which means Pokeballs can be sent wherever and whenever. Which is good, because May's got a Bulbasaur, and Ash has a Bulbasaur, and Ash's Bulbasaur tends not to meet others of its own kind without being thoroughly shamed for his choices (laughs) about trainers and not evolving and the like. So Ash wants to arrange a more positive play date. So they call up Professor Oak's lab and the two Bulbasaur meet over Skype, which is very cute. And Ash asks the professor to transfer Bulbasaur over to him for a bit. But when the Pokeball arrives, it doesn't open like it normally would to release a Pokemon. And a bunch of other trainers notice like this has happened to them too. Um, in the past couple minutes. Um, and when they finally got the Pokeballs open, they were empty. Like, one trainer, that's that's a weird glitch. And several trainers is a pattern, and Nurse Joy is panicking. Like, she just got that fixed. And as we saw from our time in the PC with Dr. Akihabara, the thought of a Pokemon getting lost to the PC in a glitch is just frightening. Um, Porygon seems to like it, but we like the rest of us. <laughs> Ash posits that maybe these are fakes, and Max deduces that the culprit might be the last people to fix the machine before this started happening. And at first, Nurse Joy shuts him down, like, no, 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 it's not like they were some randos, they were professionals. 
presumably from a reputable company. They had a uniform and everything. But then workers from that exact same company with the exact same uniform come in like, hey, Nurse Joy, we're here to answer your repair call. And Nurse Joy is like, oh, because yeah, Max is right. A Pokemon Center must deal with all kinds of Pokemon transfers because Team Rocket is rolling in Pokeballs outside. Um, the kids run around the building and they catch them. I'm, I'm surprised Ash lets them get through the whole motto. That's his Bulbasaur in there. <laughs> but Team Rocket does, and when they try to fly away with the stolen booty in the balloon, Ash calls out Talo and May calls out Beautiful Eye, which normally should end this conflict, but Team Rocket added rocket jets to their balloon at James's behest. So amazingly, Team Rocket gets away. We should leave James in charge of plans more often. Even Pikachu can't bring the balloon down in time. But uh, our boy Icarus has flown too close to the sun. The fancy rockets James purchased for this venture have overheated. They're burning up. So in the end, Team Rocket is brought down by their own hubris. As often happens, they blast off into the distance. But the balloon is downed, which means after a couple mile hike, the kids might be able to catch them. Hope Nurse Joy wore her sensible shoes today. Even Max notices, like, wow, did you see how far they got this time? <laughs> anyway, in the chaos, a lone Pokeball falls from the sky. May's Bulbasaur catches it with Vine Whip and lets out Ash's Bulbasaur! Hi, buddy! And it just jumps and hugs Ash, and they proceed to have a reunion, like, regardless of the circumstances. Like, so much for my vacation, figures that seeing Ash means being wrapped up in a Team Rocket scheme. Just par for the course, no need to worry about it. <laughs> and the two Bulbasaur bond rather quickly, and Taylor and Beautifly go off and try to find Team Rocket from the air. We're kind of having an interesting moment with Team Rocket. James is throwing a bit of a tantrum about the engines blowing up. He worked so hard for this plan, and he seems to be upset that something went wrong. I mean, obviously, who wouldn't? But, like, the team has effectively got away with the Pokeballs. Like, they really just have to gather them up and make their getaway on foot. Losing the balloon isn't such a huge setback when we think of all the distance they got. But what James seems to be realizing is the pattern of Team Rocket's schemes in that things are going great until one small thing goes wrong, and he seems to think that once that something goes wrong, it's basically over, and he was working so hard to make sure nothing went wrong. A bit of a fatalistic view, but within the meta confines of the show, he's not wrong. Um, it's tough to be able to see that fourth wall. Jesse and Meowth still think they have a chance, and so they wrap up the Pokeballs into little trundle bags, and they're really upset that James is being so childish and whiny about his busted rocket jets and his general attitude of failure. Which is a bit rich. I mean, it's not like they'd praise him if he'd actually succeeded. Like, we know who these three are. And, you know, considering how Jesse and Meowth generally treat James anyway. <laughs> so they pack up the Pokeballs, and they go looking for a hiding spot. But James has a little hole in his trundle bag that's dropping Pokeballs with every step. He doesn't notice because he's so busy carrying Jesse's bag as well, because of course. So with the good guys, it seems the effective trainers, it seems the affected trainers have all fanned off to search the forest. Ash and his usual crew are all going together in one direction, waiting for Talo and Beautiful Eye to give them a direction to follow while Ash's Bulbasaur mentors May's Bulbasaur on the art of finding kidnapped teammates in the woods. It's a tough skill honed by years of experience. He's written a whole manual. 
Taylo and Beautiful Eye find the trail of poke breadcrumbs that James has been leaving, and the two Bulbasaur ask the local Pokemon if they've seen Team Rocket. Which is very cool. Bulbasaur uses Vine Whip to create an outline of Meowth, and I've never seen him do that before, but it's brilliant. And the two Bulbasaur lead the kids to the balloon. Maze Bulbasaur snoops around a bit more and finds some stray Pokeballs. Then the two flying types return, and they all put their heads together. The kids now have a direction to go down to track Team Rocket. And they catch up to them about the time that Team Rocket realizes they've lost half the loot, so it's a showdown at an abandoned mountain cabin. I say abandoned because it's empty, and Team Rocket didn't know it was here and there's little inside, but if that's the case, James's weird remote-controlled build-a-wall-to-surround-the-entire-structure-and-keep-the-twerps-out device, like, that is pretty impressive for having no prior setup or assembly. (laughs) Anyway. He builds a giant wall. It nearly surrounds all four walls of the cabin. Looks to be like metal. The kids aren't easily going to get in. But Team Rocket's also not easily getting out. James is prepared for a lot of things, but this is where the wheels are starting to come off his scheme. Now, I said nearly surrounds the cabin a little earlier. The walls aren't high enough to completely cover the cabin, and there's a little window peeking out over the top of the barrier. The kids can go over the wall. Remember last episode when I rejoiced at finally getting a team member who knows Vine Whip? It's so useful. James isn't the only one coming up with good plans today. May is taking charge over here, deciding a plan with the Bulbasaur duo to get in through the window and rescue the Pokemon. It's a good plan, so Ash jumps on as the distraction with Pikachu, just beating down the wall and stealing the rocket's attention, and the two like, come to an agreement or, like, break. Like, I love Ash and May being competent together. Like, when they're both at their best, they're brilliant together. Speaking of brilliant, that's probably not what we'll call James's next plan, but boy, is it inventive. He uses an old ski in the cabin as a baseball bat and whacks a Pokeball out through the door at Ash and Pikachu. The Pokemon releases from its Pokeball, understandably, it's it's kidnapped, it probably is itching to be free, and Ash gets smashed with the full-bodied force of a Pokemon crashing into him. It's wild. <laughs> he gets taken out by a Golbat and a Primate. They're not even attacking him, they're just suddenly there and inertia takes over. And they don't necessarily want Pikachu shocking the Pokemon like they're the kidnapped victims. So all Ash can do is just keep taking it to keep the rockets distracted. Max is like, yeah, I'm glad I decided to come with May. Good choice. I picked the right team. Brock's a little more altruistic. He's like, I should probably go down there and help him. Like, what if the next Pokemon's a Snorlax? And while the two Bulbasaur sneak their vine whips through the window... Not that stealthily, like Team Rocket notices when the room suddenly turns into Jumanji. They grab ski poles and try to fight the vines off, get some fencing skills going, but the Bulbasaur persist. Outside, Brock is returning the captured Pokemon to their Pokeballs, and now that Ash isn't getting bombarded, he can have Pikachu use Iron Tail on the wall. Pikachu makes a hole in the barrier, and with vines attacking from the inside, like, they've effectively smoked Team Rocket out. So now it's time for a proper Pokemon battle with Seviper and Cacnea. Not before Cacnea gets its obligatory hug in. I like James's response, like, do we need to have another talk? 
I guess Team Rocket is trying to learn about boundaries. Which they'd teach some to Brock. Maze Bulbasaur does well enough under Cacnea's pin missile. I mean to say that it, it gets a decent showing trying to defend itself, but ultimately, pin missile is too strong. But Ash's Bulbasaur steps up with Vine Whip. The veteran. And then the two Bulbasaur work together with their Vine Whip to take Viper and Cacnea down. They get the Pokeballs back, which means Pikachu can fry Team Rocket until they blast off. The Bulbasaur duo high-five with their vines, it's so cute. And back at the Pokemon Center, all trainers are reunited with their Pokemon. And Professor Oak is calling to report that his lab is in total chaos without Bulbasaur. <laughs> Bulbasaur is like, well, what can you do? Pats the rookie on the back. Guess Ash will just have to visit him in Palatown. <laughs> I love the line reading when Ash sends Bulbasaur back. Like, you can really tell how much he loves Bulbasaur, even though their lives are more apart now. And like, yeah, just because friends move away or grow up to have a different career or whatever. Like, it doesn't mean you stop caring about them, even if you don't see them as often. So, like, I don't know. It's just really sweet. Ash and Bulbasaur are always really sweet. Like, and I love that Bulbasaur has its own independence outside of Ash. Like... In managing the Pokemon at Professor Oak's Corral, both with Ash's team and all the other Pokemon that live there, it fits for the character of Bulbasaur. Like, when we met it, it was, you know, a leader type. And of all of Ash's Pokemon, the most not drinking the Kool-Aid about, like, Pokemon trainers are the best and my trainer is awesome, I'd die for him. Like, he was a lot more realistic, like... Again, that one episode where all the Pokemon are separated and using subtitles, like Bulbasaur's the one being like, oh yeah, Ash abandoned us, maybe. Like, So I, I don't know, it just fits for him to like, on the one hand, be so connected to Ash and all of his Pokemon. And at the same time, like kind of has his own little career going on, his own life. And I just really love that for him. We've confirmed Ash's Bulbasaur is mailed, right? Maybe I should stop that. Anyway, I also love, again, Ash and May just both being take charge confident together. And like, yeah, there are a lot of instances where May's Bulbasaur was, say, not as experienced as Ash's Bulbasaur um, in this episode. But like, on the whole, May got to show her own as an equal to Ash, e even if she and her Pokemon are a little less experienced. She carried herself as Ash's equal and the show treated her as such. And I love that. And again, when the two of them are on the same wavelength, there, there is just something about Ash and May that clicks. They just have enough in common in uh, certain particular ways on certain things that it's just like when they are on, they are on. When they're together, they're together in a way that Ash and Misty aren't, even though Ash and Misty have their own particular very special relationship and friendship. So, so yeah, a very fun episode. Um, that'll do it for today, though. Uh, keep on listening to PCAPI Podcast on the Apple Podcasts and many other places that catch your podcast RSS feeds to hear the next episode, which is going to be Wish Cat, Wish Cat, oh, oh my gosh, I say that five times fast, Wizcash and Ash. Um, and honestly, I don't remember what happens in this episode, but I know that this episode has spawned, like, it, it's just, its content is used in a lot of screen caps and AMVs, so I'm betting the animation is on point. Definitely the thumbnails for this episode alone are, are quite delightful. 
So until next time, everybody have a great week. Have a happy Halloween if it hasn't passed yet by the time I upload this. And best wishes and gotta catch them all. 